The Rose Bowl Legacy Foundation preserves, protects, and enhances the future of the Rose Bowl Stadium as a national historic landmark. America's Stadium has hosted two Olympic Games, with a third one coming in 2028, two World Cup Finals, five Super Bowls, and the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl since 1923. It is the epic center of college football and is the most iconic stadium in the world. To learn more about how you can support the Rose Bowl Stadium as it turns 100 years young, visit www.inspire, which spells inspire2022.org. Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello! Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. We've got to talk some USC Trojan football. Unbelievable, only two games left in the regular season. The Trojans are now bowl eligible at 6-4, defeating the Arizona State Sun Devils 31-26 in Tempe. We're going to break that down with the coach, Harvey Hyde. An amazing first quarter and then a kind of ho-hum 45 minutes after that. But we'll talk about all that. We've got a lot of questions from... All of you, record number of voicemails again this week. People calling in, wanting to know about this team, the future, all that kind of stuff. So we'll do our best to address all of those. If you have any questions or comments, please drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. Or if you'd rather call or text us, you can do that too. 424-254-9141 is the number. Leave us a voicemail. Try to keep it brief or send us a text. We do love to hear from you. We're going to try to address all the concerns and questions that you guys have sent in this week. And we're going to do that with the coach, Harvey Hyde. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website, HarveyHyde.com. We got him on the line now. What's up, coach? Well, another Monday. Another football weekend has passed us by. A lot of questions I know our listeners would like to uh, ask us. And two more weeks, as you said, in the season, Cal and UCLA, big games for the Trojans, all big games uh, as far as the, the entire season. But, you know, Ryan, what I want to do is, is answer the questions of our people who are uh, courteous enough to call in and give us questions and so on. So rather than rant and rave in an opening segment about what I saw or blah, 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 I just want to say that the Trojans came out of Tempe with a win. 31-26. I saw the headlines in the papers. A lot of it called it the great escape, the escape, all the headlines that had to do with the game. They win 31-26. They go 6-4, and 5-2 and two in the Pac-12 South, and they become bowl eligible. But is that enough? 28-7 uh, first quarter, 28-14 halftime, 31-20. End of the third quarter, 31-26 at the end of the game. Three points in the final three quarters of the game. Uh, a lot of question marks, especially in the special teams area and especially in the kickoff coverage area, which is basically was embarrassing for a college division one football team to be able to perform like that. And we can get into that. I'm sure we have questions on that, but two games left. And uh, why don't we get into uh, what you have and anything we don't answer that we need to talk about, you can ask me that or I can summarize it. Yeah, that sounds good, Coach, because we have the, the questions are kind of all over the place, a lot of different topics. There's some, you know, a lot of negative ones. There's some positive ones, too. We'll start off with a positive one. Uh, fight on Fred in L.A. He said, uh, Ryan and Coach Hyde, now that USC is bowl eligible, do you agree in that being a positive? It gives the new coach, possibly, additional practices to evaluate and observe the players. Plus, those extra practices and reps, along with game prep, are beneficial for the development of younger players moving forward. Remember, no matter what happens in the bowl game, the next one is Alabama and Dallas. So anything that can improve the younger players will help. Love the podcast, and thanks for what you both do, uh, Fred in L.A. And I, I think this is about, not, you know, I probably was a little overly critical of some of the way the players were reacting to being bowl eligible 
Um, and I, you know, I apologize to uh, Christian Rector, who I like a lot. Uh, you know, he he made some comments after the game, coach, about it being a really big deal. And I was like, you know, that just sounds weird because you got to set the bar higher than that. But if the players want to be excited about it, they could, they get a swag bag, all that stuff. They weren't bell eligible last year. I got no issues with that. So. Um, so I was probably even a little snarkier, a little more critical than I wanted to be after the game, Coach. But get your thoughts on that. Well, that was probably a big uh, thing as far as Clay Helton telling them before the game, we got to win this game to become bowl eligible. We're together longer and this and that. And kids remember uh, those type of things, and they get excited, and they say things that they're sometimes sorry for, and sometimes they're excited when they do that. So, you know, you don't have to uh, say anything either, Ryan. Now, you just gave your opinion, and that's like we tell everybody. Ours is just nothing but an opinion. But a bowl uh, opportunity is great. That's if you take advantage of the necessary practices and you do what you need to do to give your younger players and your team the opportunity of getting better. In the past, USC has not done that as far as their preparation for bowl games. We've talked about that. They haven't even utilized the entire practice numbers that they're given, and they have sort of uh, flaunted that away. But I think, as our caller said, Fred, you're exactly right. It's a great opportunity. It gives you another spring practice and gets your team ready for the coming year. And, of course, opening with Alabama is not going to be a lot of fun. But – you know, uh, it's good to be bowl eligible. It's good to go to a bowl game. And I'm going to sort of now tell you uh, where I'd like to see them go. No matter what they do their last two games, I'd like to see them go to the Las Vegas Bowl. I think it's close by. I think the fans will travel. It's December the 1st, kickoff at 4.30 p.m. Everybody who goes to the Las Vegas Bowl has a great time. you got great rooms, you great, great opportunities for other things that are going on. Every time the Trojans have gone there, well, they didn't beat the, uh, they didn't win that one year to uh, against who was it Fresno State or somebody, but they had no, they did win. That was Clay Helton's first year, but it's a great bowl game, and uh, and I think it's a place people will go, and I think it's important that the uh, fans follow the team. So I'm just throwing out all this in advance. No matter what they do, the next two games, I'd like to see them be selected for that, and I'm going to tell the people in Las Vegas what my thoughts are on that. All right, uh, that sounds good, Coach. Let's see. Uh, yeah, Vegas Bowl, that would be a fun one. You get it over with. Uh, but, yeah, I think that there's positives, certainly, to be in bowl eligible, um, you know, like uh, Fred was saying. We had a, uh, a long voicemail from uh, Sandy from Seal Beach. It was like three minutes long. Sandy, sorry we couldn't play it. But the gist of it was his head was going to explode watching USC special teams. Uh, specifically, he was mentioned John Baxter. He said that, you know, at the homecoming game, the, the, the kickoff guy, Alex Stathouse, had two touchdown-saving tackles. He's been asked to do more. Uh, obviously, they've given up two big kick returns in the last two weeks. He says that there's more talent on this team than anyone in the Pac-12 and then more, more than a lot of teams in the country, and they still can't handle kickoffs. They still can't fix this problem. He said, if this was my job, I would be fired, and I wouldn't argue. Um, Special teams have been uh, a real issue, especially the last couple of weeks. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Coach Cindy from uh, Seal Beach? Thanks for the call. Well, I, I think that last week uh, McGrath did a good job in kicking uh, a 41-yard field goal and four extra points. I think he gets an A on what he did. As far as punt returns, I think St. Brown had a nice return. I think it was 24 yards and did a good job in that area, the punt uh, special teams area. But as far as the other areas, the kickoff uh, coverage is absolutely ridiculous. It's embarrassing. When, uh, and putting your defense on the spot of when the other team gets the ball in the 40-yard line, field position, absolutely amazing. Terrible, just terrible. I tweeted out, I don't know how many of you follow me, but I do that after each quarter. I tweeted out, quit embarrassing all of us. Just take the ball and have Griffin punt it as a free kick. Have him kick it as far as he can, as high as he can, and you'd be better off doing that than you would squib kicking it and the ball going down where they get the ball or it goes out of bounds and, and the kickoff coverage is a simple thing to do. I mean, I've taught that for years. Uh, I did a lot of special teams coaching. All you do is stay in your lanes, go down, settle up, don't run by the guy, and uh, kick the ball to the hash mark, to the five, five uh 
far side, so the guy has only one option to run the ball up the field, take the field away from him, and it's easy. Or have a kicker that can kick the ball into the end zone where they have to use a 25-yard rule or out of the end zone where you don't have any type of return at all. But uh, they seem to have problems with that every year, and I don't know. I think they seem to get – they talk about getting that solved, but they haven't. So I think that's really, really affecting the defensive side of the football as well as the morale of the team and the embarrassment of the team as far as that subject. It really is bad. But, again, Griffin, I thought, did a good job as far as field position, as far as punting the ball in uh, good field position out of bounds, one time on about the one-yard line or six-inch line which helped the defense a lot. So there were some things in the special teams that were positive, and then again, everybody always looks at the negative, as we are, and the kickoff kickoff coverage team is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. And uh, you know, they, they didn't return as many kickoffs this time. I wrote a story last week about how bad they've been uh, returning kickoffs, and, uh, and John Baxter was defending that during the week, and but lo and behold, you didn't see as many of those in this game. So uh, it looks like um, <laughs> things are, you know, <laughs> maybe they're, they're, you know, and, and I talked to, well, Clay Hilton after the, the game spoke about uh, on the radio broadcast, not on the regular press conference. He spoke about talking to John Baxter about squib kicking. And so that's something that they said during the week. They don't practice it. They don't do it. But, you know, Clay Helton, it seemed like he put his foot down a little bit and just told John Baxter, hey, we're squib kicking now. Just do it. And that still wasn't very effective, but at least they tried to do something different. So I don't know if that uh, we haven't really seen Clay Helton kind of override John Baxter before. But during the week, he was saying that's not something we do. But then after this game, Clay Helton said that's something that we want him to, you know, he, he forced him to do that during the game. Well, you know, that's embarrassing, too. Because here you aren't good at what you're supposed to be doing and you're making up things during the game that you don't practice. I mean, that's a little bit ridiculous, too. You know, you got to have defensive players always on the kickoff team. And occasionally I see an offensive player on the kickoff team. And how many times do they practice live tackling offensive players? You've got to have defensive players who take pride in going down in their lanes, making the play. Uh, not bumping each other, creating a lane. You know, a week ago, uh, what was it, a 100-yard touchdown return, and then this week a 97-yard touchdown, not a touchdown, but a 97-yard return. I mean, those things, that that that, that, that can't happen. That just can't happen. And, and, you know, you don't have to be a football coach to recognize that. My wife or anybody can sit back and say, what's going on there? And that's just coaching, guys, coaching and the right personnel on the field. So you can't justify that, as our listeners and callers uh, call in and tell us. You can't justify that, you know. So why even try to justify it? Just you're terrible at it. Okay, get a kicker that kicks the ball out of the end zone, and you don't have to only you don't even have to put a team out there. Just put the kicker out there, let him kick it out of the end zone, and save your guys time for running down the field. Yeah, let's. Uh, we got a voicemail. Let's play this one for you, Coach. Hello, Don Archie from Upland. USC is not a good football team. It's not because they don't have the talent. Injuries have hurt this team, but the main problem is with the coaching staff. They have failed to coach these players up. You tell me, how does a team go up by four touchdowns and almost lose the game? No adjustments are being made at the half, offensively or defensively. This is every game. That special team is really bad. It's coaching, plain and simple. Urban Myers is the best choice to restore this program back to the way it was. And I don't want to hear any crap about his baggage. Well, uh, I don't know where to start on that question. Uh, I think I agree with you on the special teams uh, portion. I think I agree with you on uh, adjustments. I think I agree with you on jumping up 28 nothing and then all of a sudden shutting it off and saying, who are we now the rest of the game, and basically just hanging on and not performing and not doing what you need to do against a freshman quarterback, Ellen, who hadn't started one game the entire year. And if it wasn't for Rector's catch or tip of that ball, I have a feeling that I'm not going to say it would have happened, but Arizona State was on a roll, first and 10 under 32. 
that they would have beat the Trojans at the end of the game because of the momentum was completely on Arizona State's side. Now, as far as the football teams themselves, I think both those football teams that day were average football teams, okay? I don't think Arizona State's the same football team offensively without Daniels there as the quarterback because they rely on the quarterback being such a big part of the running game. And if you notice what happened in that football game, USC defensively knew the yellow wasn't going to run the football game, so they zeroed in on Benjamin, who is one of the top running backs in the Pac-12, Benjamin Jefferson and Moss, and they held him uh, under 100 yards because that's the same thing I keep talking about as far as USC's offense, as far as their quarterback not being an athletic quarterback running the ball. And that's why it's so difficult for the running backs at USC to get started because they only have one guy carrying the football, and the quarterback never carries the football. So I think that demonstrated that. As far as the great skilled athletes, uh, St. Brown is what a great athlete he is. And Pittman, what a great leader he is. Just in London, the, some of the catches, he did a rebound catch on a great play. And Solis throwing for 300, what, 97 yards in the first quarter and having such a great game, over 400 yards. I mean, that kid is, is growing up. And, you know, it's just uh, a lot of things that aren't put together. There's no short yardage philosophy. There's no tight ends utilizing the game whatsoever. You never go into center when it's only third down and one where you can do a quarterback's need, or at least get your tight ends in the game with a jumbo package where you have a short yardage situation and you go under center and you run the ball and you utilize your tight ends as blockers and play action pass to the tight ends and drag routes and do certain things. Tight ends don't even get on the field except when they're an H-back. So, you know, I think you uh, that was demonstrated today, and I think if you sent it out, Ryan, that Jack Yeri, the great tight end, who's one of the best tight ends in the country, is decommitted now because of the use of the tight ends at USC. And there's no cause for that. So, you know, these are the little things we've talked about the entire year. It's not something we brought up today. So every week we talk about the same things, and I think that's what everybody's getting tired, of, uh, tired about. Yeah, people are, I mean... People are, it's just, people are over it, coach. I don't know how else to put it, but fans don't really, do they really care how we're breaking down this game? And no, I mean, they really want to know what, what's next. And, you know, looking at the recruiting rankings to get a guy like Jack Geary, who's a legacy, who, you know, talking to Gerard Martinez, he's one of those commits that was like, just forget it. Like, there's no way a guy like that would decommit. And he ends up decommitting uh, on Sunday. And, what, what does that show you about what's going on inside the USC football program right now? Uh, it's hard to say, but that dropped USC to number 77 in the country in recruiting rankings and number 11 in the Pac-12. I've you know been covering this team since 1996. I've never seen a USC recruiting class be this bad this late in the process. You know, a, a week and a half into November especially with the early signing period coming up. You're, you're talking about five weeks away from signing day and USC has the number 11 class in the PAC 12. That's unbelievable. Never seen it. And obviously not acceptable by the fans. Well, it determines the future and it's a really uh, a signal to everybody in uh, football. What young athletes think of the USC football program. Let's be realistic. You know, it's just a, a, an outlook of players who want to play in bowl games, want to go to the NFL, want to play on championship teams, and just telling you what their thoughts are. And uh, that's absolutely another thing that's unheard of. Like you said, what, uh, or you just said that they're 11th out of 12 in the Pac 12 in recruiting. Are you kidding me? That alone, even if they win their next two games, that alone uh, can't people can't stand for, okay? is the recruiting process and what the future shows as far as student-athletes. Because believe me, guys, it's the football players and how you forecast them and how you develop them and how they believe and the pride in the program and so on. It's not the stadium. Don't get me wrong. Stadiums are beautiful. But they don't win football games. Football coaches and football players win football games. And they recruit each other. They all say, let's go here, let's go there, let's go together. And that's what's happening. So unless you get a real leader that you sign and commit early, 
You're not going to get the great players. And right now, currently, that's what's happening to USC. No matter what all the hogwash is and all the talk about how many games you win and all of that, it's what are you doing for the future of the USC football program? And right now, the future of the football program is in recruiting. And where is that? Not very good. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We got an email from uh, Sergeant Rodney Strong, and I forgot to mention at the top of the show, happy Veterans Day, everyone. Thanks for your service out there for all of our, our military veterans that are listening. We got a lot of people that, that write in and call in, so we thank you for that. Um, but Sergeant Rodney wrote in, it started with yuck. He says, man, I tell you, after watching this game for the second time, this game was horrid. I'm impressed that he watched it a second time. Uh <laughs> It's not just the first quarter. Uh, they come out blazing in the first quarter and then laid an egg in the last three. I know Clay Hilton wants to show our new athletic director that he can coach or he is the coach to bring USC back to greatness. But from the season up to now, uh, this game, so from the season up to now, this game, do you feel that he can be that coach with a couple of adjustments to his game plan that will get SC back to the top? Do you think that Mike Bone will be satisfied with this win or will he have a bad taste in his mouth like we all do? Thanks, guys, and fight on from Sergeant Rodney Strong. Well, Sarge, uh, here's the way I look at it. As Mike Bowen looks at it, he's not just looking at wins and losses. He's looking at the entire program. What do we have here? What are we getting done? What's the front office? What is the recruiting staff like? What is morale? What is the, uh, what is the picture of our program nationally? Uh, what about locally? What about season tickets? Are people excited about our season tickets? Are our season tickets being canceled? I mean, the whole picture is uh, Coach Helton, the, the, the future of USC football. Uh, all of these things have got to be evaluated, not just by win and losses, but by, by everything, by watching the game, by watching the coaching of the game, by the whole adjustments of the game, the uniforms that are being uh, worn, the sideline discipline, uh, what's being sent out social media-wise uh, and and the, the pictures in social media of players and different things that are going on. Is that satisfactory as far as the image of what USC football is all about? We need to change a lot of things in that athletic department to bring this up to par on the top programs in America. So I think he's looking at, at, at that, not only in football, but probably everything. And uh, what is the morale of our student base and what is the morale of our booster club and the fans and alumnus of USC. Now I don't have to grade all of that because I listen to your calls. Okay. And I do other shows. I know what the morale is. I know what the cry is. I know the cry is let's hire urban Meyer. I hear it all the time, but right now you don't have an opening at USC and you can't blame coach Clay Helton as far as trying to save his job and do what, what's necessary to impress Mike Bone, and he's even using some of Mike Bone's uh, <laughs> uh, wordage now as far as in his postgame, the victory song. And the this fi- and the that. fight on to victory. Yeah, that was really interesting that Clay Helton uh, broke that one out. Right. But, you know, he's trying to do the things that uh, will uh, catch his ear. But what's going to catch his notice in his ear is the entire football program. And when you go through the entire football program, and, Ryan, you and I have done this for the last several years. Some of the things that I see at practice, some of the things I see as far as social media, some of the things I see as far as uniform dress, sideline control, the whole thing I say, is this really a team that's going to challenge for a national championship? Now, that's what uh, he's going to have to decide, and that's what the college president is going to have to decide. Do you want to play for a national championship? And if you want to play for a national championship, you've got to look to people who can bring you that national championship. There isn't a lot of people that can bring you that national championship. But I know one thing, that when you have a thoroughbred of a program such as USC is thought of nationally, and you put the right jockey on that horse, in most instances, that horse becomes the favorite in the race. And you just want to be one of the favorites in the race. And currently that horse at USC Traveler is not one of the favorites in the race. And right now, currently, with the current recruiting uh, uh, that is going on and uh, with what I've been able to evaluate here and there and everywhere, there are just too many loose ends as far as being able to play for a national championship. And 
And that's just my opinion. Now, who's the head coach? I can tell you who my opinion would be once there's an opening. And once there's that opening, I think there's only one person. And I think the cry of all the USC boosters and fans and everybody's one person, except for a few people in the media, because they use that term baggage, as our man out of Marino Valley said, Reno Valley said, what is baggage? I could go on that for one hour as far as the topic is concerned. So we'll just move on. I think I answered your question, and thank you for your question. Uh, we also had a long voicemail from Guy in Lake Balboa. Sorry, Guy, it was way too long, but he also talks about his love for Irvin Meyer. He, he loved the piece that I wrote uh, that I put up on Thursday saying why USC should hire Urban Meyer and needs to hire Urban Meyer. So thanks for that. I got a lot of uh, feedback about that piece but he loves coach he loves you coach dan keely everyone uh he's just he wants something to be fixed after 10 years of horror so thanks for that guy sorry try to keep the voicemails a little more brief uh but you also mentioned the social media aspect and david and berkeley wrote about this he's tweeting before games he said dear ryan and coach less than an hour before the start of the arizona state game john houston jr tweeted quote game day with my brothers hashtag fight on and then he says, what does it say when your senior leader on defense is posting on social media within an hour before kickoff or when your whole defense is posing for a picture during a game the way they did last year versus Colorado? I am done with players who are more eager to get ready for social media than to get ready for games. Sincerely, David in Berkeley. Well, I, I just spoke on that a moment ago. Their minds aren't focused on what they're supposed to do. They're more focused, as he said, on themselves and social media and so on. You know, I don't care what the morale would be. I told you, and I've made this statement before, we'd have a collection of uh, cellular phones uh, before we left the hotel, okay? And I'd probably have them before we went to the hotel, because I don't want any outside communication with anybody. I want our guys to focus on that, and if somebody didn't want to do that, that's too bad. you got to check in your phone, and we'll give it to you after the game especially in the locker room, after the locker room, when coaches are talking and people are in there, people are using their phones, they're on their phones, they're taking pictures and so on. Things are being said in the locker room that should not go out. And I think it's just ridiculous. I just do. And players on the field before the game, even if they're not an early out player, why are you out there? Why are you out there? You should be in the locker room focusing, talking with your position group, sitting with your position coach, reviewing blocking schemes and all the different things that you need to do to prepare for that football game. Be focused. And a lot of times today, along with the music and everything that's out there on the football field, you wonder if you're at a concert, you don't know what you're doing. I mean, I just think there's a lot of loose ends out there that need to be really tightened up. And I think if my bone sees all of this stuff, he'll understand what we're talking about. And like I mentioned last week, and a few people say after the game, You'll see it too. Players sitting in the stands with their families rather than going in the locker room and being with their coaches. Win or loss. As far as listening to what your coach has to say regarding your performance, the itinerary for tomorrow, maybe a short prayer, whatever. Even without media, nobody in there. Just coaches and just the family as far as talking honestly to each other about what happened today. And then, of course, you have to do what you have to do. Uh, we got a voicemail from Joan. This one's really long, too. I'm going to play the beginning part of it. Um, Joan, you know better than this. Come on. But it was good stuff. And the second part, she's talking more about Urban Meyer, which we kind of talked about. But I'll play the first part for you. Here you go. Hey, Ryan and Coach Hyde. This is Joan Levis. How are you guys doing? Well, after Saturday night's game against Arizona, which was pretty, pretty sloppy and comical, I really have to smack my head. How does this team that was literally blowing out Arizona State, as well they should, collapse for the next three quarters? I just want to know what kind of values and culture Helton is instilling in his team. Oh, I guess it's we can practice to play for 15 minutes and then give up. I wouldn't say that's a winning formula for his politically ingratiating statement of fight on to victory in his post-presser. Come on, man. I just, I just can't believe it. Um, and- yeah. So that's, we'll cut it off there. So what do you think coach? Well, I tell you, if I was to play against USC and we got down 14, nothing, 28, nothing, whatever it is, I'd say, Hey guys, this is normal. Don't worry about it. We're going to come back. We're going to play, but it's a pattern. It happens. It happens against Oregon. It happens against everybody. It's, and what happens, I think teams make their adjustments against the passing game against USC 
and they become used to playing seven on seven. They understand what their coverages are, and they rush forward. They don't blitz much. They make uh, uh, you throw the ball. They keep the ball underneath. That's why I continually say throw the ball down the field more because you've got great receivers who can make great plays. You saw Brown make his great play. They had him triple teamed, and he still put the ball in there. Sola did a great job. So, you know, you've got to play uh, not to not to win, not to lose. And sometimes they become very conservative. And thank goodness this week they got Kristen, the running back, involved in the passing game. And you've heard me talk about that. How much have I talked about, including your backs and circle routes and wheel routes and down the middle and doing different things and letting your great players get in space? Well, that just proves to you what they can do. But also... You can't rush the ball for 71 yards this week or 78, whatever it was, and 21 the week before and say you had a great offensive football team. Just can't do that. Just doesn't happen, and you're not going to win big games. And as the field shortens up, it's it's not going to happen. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just something that has been there the entire year, and I hear that you know, uh, you know, we didn't adjust this. We had the wrong reads. We didn't do this. We didn't do that. And we didn't throw the right receiver. You know, that goes only so far, too, because you don't have the complete structure of an offense that needs to be balanced as far as series and bootlegs and move the pocket and drags and different things that you should be doing uh, with your with your offensive uh, football plan in the middle of the field, different things that cause the defense a lot of trouble. You just don't have that. Learning to throw against zone is something that's uh, not easy, but it's not hard either. Finding the open area and mismatches and so on that have to happen. I don't see any comeback routes as much as they should run. And, uh, you know, when you throw the ball, Ryan, let's be exact. Let's just tell you the truth. When you throw the football, as much as they throw the football, I see no no draws. How can you not have a draw in an offense you're throwing the ball 45, 50 times a game? No real sophisticated screening game as far as with the backs or tight ends or anybody inside or outside and drive off with your receivers. Yes, there's a bubble screen and the hit screen. Nothing like that as far as involved. And also, people are getting used to seeing this type of offense now. Washington State is, what, 1-5, and 4-5? and five? And he does it as good as anybody. Well, people are getting used to seeing this and being able to defense it better. And uh, when you look at this coming week, uh, I don't know if we'll get into this. I shouldn't rant and rave about this, but an 8 o'clock kickoff is absolutely absurd. Just absurd. And you take Cal. Now, Cal's had a chance to work on this two weeks. Yeah. They took, uh, yeah, they worked against Washington State. They saw that. They have this week to work against USC, uh, work against a few adjustments that USC has. So they're going to be prepared, prepared for this type of offense. So, you know, you don't really have that much of an advantage now. So, you know, you got to be balanced. you got to be able to do what you have to do. And in 8 o'clock game, you sit around all day. You're bored. You're burned out before the football game starts. That's 11 o'clock on the East Coast. We're not done here till 11, 30, 12. Kids are back on campus 3, 34 in the morning, and next day supposed to study for a test on Monday. Are you kidding me? These are just some of the things that you have to put up with. Yep. Uh, let's see. Yeah. And Cal had played Washington state the week before, week prior, Oregon, uh, the same deal and Colorado, the same deal. So sort of a little bit of an advantage going against, uh, no, I think did ASU? No. Um, no, it was Cal. Yeah. So there was, there's, I think three teams this year that played Washington state right before they played USC. So you get a little glimpse of the air raid, uh, see how that works out. Um, Nick wrote in and I, we, I'm sorry, Nick sent this in before last week's show and it didn't get into our document for some reason, but it still works. Uh, his question, big Nick 21 USC from the Peristyle. He says, how in the hell is Clancy still a coach at USC? He's talking about Clancy Pendergast, USC's defensive coordinator. The man doesn't recruit, doesn't know his personnel due to not recruiting them. Uh, he had a rift with, uh, Kenichi Udeze, but, uh, he can stay and, uh, his, this is not very good language here. Um, Nick, but he'll say, uh, he's saying he's overrated. Um, the quote hire of Ronnie Bradford also didn't recruit like him. So that was his guy that he brought in. Please explain how this works. Clancy is a one trick pony and the league has figured him out uh, two years ago. Uh, he's expired milk last year and should have been dumped for anything more likely 
someone better than him. Yet Clancy, uh, uh, Clay keeps him, and that will be his downfall. Downfall. Fight on from Nick. Nick, give us a little proofread before you send him in because there's a lot of weird language in there. But you get the gist of what he was saying, Coach. Yeah, I, I do get uh, just what he's saying. And, you know, I've always uh, said the name of the game is, is recruiting and players and relationships with families and so on. Pretty hard to to get a great football player when you don't recruit him. You know, you could go, go off campus or, you know, make a family visit or be a part of the team. you got to recruit. And uh, I don't know how Coach Clay Helton allows this. I never did figure this out. I, I just don't know. I never see him uh, discuss much with him on the defensive side of the football. I never see him go to him when something happens on the defensive side of the football or disagree with him or make any comments. Uh, they're more or less standoffish. I don't even know if they talk to each other. I'm not really sure if they do. I don't know. Maybe you go to more practices than I do. Have you ever seen him talk on the field or anything about anything? I don't know. Uh, he's an NFL coach. Sometimes an NFL coach thinks his knowledge alone will get it done. But if you look at the NFL games recently, and I've been talking about this all along, his ability to stop the athletic quarterback hasn't been there. He does all right against quarterbacks that sit in the pocket. Take a look at the NFL defensive geniuses right now against Lamar Jackson or Dwayne Watson or or some of these Russell Wilsons, or some of these guys that are running around on the field, they're having a lot of problems. That's the future. So, you know, you've got to have guys that are used to stopping that type of athletic quarterback. And here in the NFL now, with a one remaining back, who's becoming the running back? And how many times have you heard me tell you this, Ryan, and all of our listeners? It's a quarterback. And for some reason, USC doesn't want a bootleg. USC doesn't want any run reads. And if you do, you know he's not going to keep the ball. I don't understand it, but yet uh, these guys are getting paid a million or whatever they are a year to be coordinators on this level, and obviously they got a reason to know why they're doing it. But, man, I'll tell you what, please tell me what it is. <laughs> All right, thanks for that one, Nick. Uh, here's another voicemail for you, Coach. Hey, Ryan and company. It's uh, Donald from Chicago. Uh, after the Arizona State game, I don't think we really need to talk about the game. It's more of the same. It's just kind of a waste of time. But I have to tell you, I'm very upset at Bill Platschke of the L.A. Times and others who are saying we cannot hire Urban Meyer for, quote-unquote, integrity reasons. I know you've come out for, for hiring him. I know Coach Hyde has as well. He seems to be the only choice. I mean, we're 66th in recruiting now in the country. It's absurd. And he can turn the program around right away. I'd like your thoughts on that. And, uh Wish you guys all the best as we're coming up on Thanksgiving. Uh, Donald from Chicago. Well, let me uh, answer that question, Donald. I've already uh, contacted Bill Plasky and told him my thoughts on that. I said, please, give him a chance, Bill. What the hell are you talking about? And uh, and uh, he appeals what he said in the paper. Now, I don't understand. I don't agree with him on that. But uh, my feeling is if you want immediate success, you get someone who's done it before. And this guy's won national championships and done it. He's going to get the attention of every Trojan. You'll have your every season ticket sold out. You'll have everybody excited. You'll get the attention of every local kid. He'll bring in great coaches. you got to allow him, if he's hired, and if there's an opening. Now, let me make that clear, that every kid locally, every kid in the nation will look at him as the savior and the person for USC. I've already told you, I've talked to Pac-12 coaches, and they say with him at USC, the rest of them don't have a chance. Why? He's done it. Now, you can talk about baggage, okay? Everybody has some baggage. I don't know what my kids are doing 24 hours a day themselves, okay? I don't know how many of you had to go to the principal's office and discuss with the principal why your kid didn't go to class. I don't know. But I'll guarantee you this. Every football coach wants every single player to graduate from college. Every football coach has not told his kid to go out and get in trouble. And every football coach recruits the same kids. It wasn't the kids he recruited at Florida. You don't think anybody else recruited them? They all recruited them. Go see and see who else was recruiting them. It just he got them. He gave an opportunity for them to go to college, and they blew it. They weren't able to accept uh, the opportunity of going to college. They blew it. But why should he get blamed for that? 
What about the parents of this young man or the young man himself? Or what about the dean of student activities? Or what about the director of admission who admission, uh, uh, admitted them? Hey, why is it the head football coach is responsible for everything? Graduation, off-the-field activities, football play on the field. Not that, you know, he's not a part of the program, but it's an impossible task. And when you talk about players who get in trouble, do you think he's the only one to recruit those players? Absolutely not. They're all recruited by everybody in the country. They're all four- and five-star players. So when you talk about baggage, please, let's understand what you're talking about and understand who this man is. Whenever you win football games, people want to look at the negatives and not the positives, but more people are envious. Rather than say he's a great coach, he's done great things, they want to tear that down. Now, the Ohio State situation is something different. I don't know the specifics of that, but I do know that they suspended him for three games. He served his time. He came back, and they were a great football program. Now, if they don't hurry USC and they don't hire him, you look out for Arkansas, okay? They already got rid of their coach uh, yesterday, and Arkansas is in the Southeastern Conference, and they want to pay. They're paying $10 million to get rid of Chad Morse. They'll find another $10 million a year to get – uh, a winning coach uh, like Urban Meyer. So there's going to be people uh, that aren't going to worry about what everybody's saying about their baggage. They want somebody that's going to make them respectable as far as what their college can do, and they understand how difficult it is to coach 130 gladiators at one time without somebody doing something that's not smart. And that's basically what happened. All right, we're going to take a quick break and come right back answering more of your questions. Back in a minute. <laughs> Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Uh, we also had an email from George, and he liked what you had to say on the last show. He said, thanks for your podcast with Coach Hyde. He sounded like a lot of us, frustrated with the lack of professionalism from the coaches and the uh, on-field shenanigans from the players. Also sounds like he has insider info on Coach Meyer. Let's hope that he wants the job and that USC's administration makes him an offer he loves, and he takes our team back to where it belongs. Love the shows. Best to you, Keeley Shotgun Dan. Coach, fight on from George. Well, George, if I was USC and you knew you were going to make a change, now they know they're going to make a change or not. Do you think this is a big secret? This, this, they know. They know what the rumbles are in the administration. They know what the rumbles are in the alumni. They know what they have to do. Like you said, Ryan, earlier, they're five weeks away from signing. You've got to save this recruiting class, whatever, whatever their philosophy is. If they're going to keep Clay Elton, make a statement and say we're going to keep him, and that's it. Hear the moans and groans and move on. But you're not doing anybody any favors misleading people. That's where you make a mistake, misleading people. Making them think they did that to Ed Orgeron. If you remember, Pat Hayden, yeah, yes, we're going to interview you. Go out and recruit. Yeah, you did a great job. And then all of a sudden they tell him uh, after the last game, they call him in and tell him they've hired Steve Sarkeesian. He talks to the team one day and he's gone forever. Now on the sideline, you see John Robinson. I mean, really, do you want another one of those experiences? Hey, man, here you are in a position where you've got to make a decision. That's what you're in those positions for as far as an administration, uh, administrator, or a trustee. You've got to do what's right, and you can't put people through misery. They all have families and kids and so on that you have to consider. They've got to find new jobs if you're going to make a change. You already know, have the, you know what, to be able to do what's right for your university and for the program. And that's all I can say. We got one last one uh, about Coach Meyer. It's a text from our buddy Robert in Athens, Greece, uh, all the way across the pond. He's class, USC class of 2000. He said, if Urban Meyer had no interest in coaching again, would he come out and say it? 
if Mike Bone has Urban Meyer in mind, it seems like he does, wouldn't that mean at the very least he's reached out to him in some capacity and got a positive response? We've all been heartbroken before, so we know better than to get our hopes up. But doesn't this look promising? Uh, thank you. Fight on from Robert. I would think that would make sense, wouldn't it be? Wouldn't somebody ask him, are you interested in the USC job? And he would probably say, no, I'm not. No, I'm not going to coach. I'm not a... I don't know if anybody's asked him that, but he certainly hadn't responded and answered no. And until he answered no, I wouldn't let him answer no. If I was an administrator or booster, whoever's going to make that decision, if you have an opening at USC, I'd sit down with him and say, what is it going to take? Uh, you're going to be our next head football coach. You might not realize this at this moment, but you're going to be, and what is it going to take? Complete control of the athletic as far as side of football, as far as from uh, everything, nutrition, weights, academics, whatever it's going to take to turn this around, you name it, we'll try to put it together for you. And I think that's got to be done, but unless you do that, someone else is going to do that. And how long... If he is interested, is he going to wait? I mean, you've got to be wanted where you're going to school, guys. You've got to be wanted and respected and say, I feel good to be on this campus. Now, I hope something is being done about that if there's going to be an opening now somewhere. Not in L.A. are they meeting. They're meeting somewhere where no one knows who they are, where they can talk on an airplane flying around L.A., something that could keep it quiet. But you've got to make a decision here shortly on what the future is going to be for the football program. Yeah. Um, if you guys don't know, we have our Tunnel Vision shows that uh, are live on Facebook, YouTube, and Periscope on Thursday nights and Sunday nights at 7 p.m. And uh, myself and Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling, usually the ones that are doing that. And on the show last night, Coach, I, we talked about ASU, what would have happened if Jaden Daniels actually played in the game. And one of the things I said was, I think ASU has a good chance of winning the game. Uh, Shotguns probably wasn't as convinced. Keeley was kind of in my camp too. Jaden Daniels has three comeback, you know, come from behind wins, fourth quarter drives to win games. And ASU had that opportunity and he's a more mobile quarterback. And, and like you mentioned, USC has a hard time stopping that. I'm not, you know, but it was a it was a one score game, and I think if you had your starting quarterback instead of a guy who's never thrown a pass in his life in college, I think ASU has a much better chance to win that game if he plays. But Curtis from Marino Valley did not like that take. I'm going to play you this voicemail and get your thoughts, Coach. Here you go. Curtis here. I was just listening to Tunnel Vision, and I heard you guys making excuses for Arizona State. Unbelievable. If their quarterback wouldn't have been hurt, he would have done this in the fourth quarter, or he would have done that. No, he wouldn't have. He can't play. He's hurt, just like JT Daniels is hurt, just like Matt Fink had to play against Utah. Oh, yeah, Utah has a real fast quarterback. This real agile. He was real dirty at the end of the game, and he went home with a loss. <clears throat> you guys got to stop making excuses when USC wins. Do you know how you sound? Hard to explain. So, Kurt's not happy. I know, Coach. What do you think if Jaden Daniels plays in that game? Does USC win it? Well, it's easy to talk about it now, you know, but I would say that if uh, Daniels was 100% healthy, ready to go, that I'd say that USC would have a more difficult time in stopping Arizona State's offense, okay? I would say that. And for people not to agree with me, I would say, how can that be? Here you did, you started a kid from Mission Viejo, his first start of the year. Yes, he had an outstanding. I thought he really played well for himself. But as I mentioned earlier, the running game was there. The defense from USC knew he wasn't going to carry the ball. It's a completely different story when you have an athletic quarterback playing with a Benjamin as a running back and keeps and play-action passes and different things that you cause problems with with the USC's defense. So, it's uh, you know, it's, it's hard to make uh, who's going to win and who's going to lose and who's not playing and who's not playing and all this and that. But uh, I would just say that it would have been a more uh, advantageous 
thing for Arizona State to have their starting quarterback, which causes uh, USC a lot of problems. Yeah, uh, it's you know, but Curt- Curtis wants to keep the glass half full. He doesn't like uh, people talking about all this other stuff. So uh, sorry, Curtis, just giving you my opinions on on what I saw out there. This was a topic I got into some Twitter beefs with uh, folks on the old Twitters uh, about Ed Orgeron. If you don't know, LSU defeated Alabama, and Ed Orgeron has the number one team in the country at LSU. Um, Gary from Arizona wrote in, uh, Hi, just wondering what your thoughts are on USC not hiring Coach O back in 2013 when he, was, when he wanted the head coaching position. Look at him now, number one, Gary. And... Uh, if you have it, if you're a member of the Athletic, uh, my buddy Bruce Feldman wrote a really nice piece on Ed Orgeron this morning, and or or last night, and it's it's really good talking about his journey, how devastated he said it was the worst day, it was like the second worst day of his life, the day that Pat Hayden told him that he was going to not get the head coaching job at USC. I know we were very critical of that decision, and um, there were some people that are like, no, he should never have been named the head coach. You want to argue what kind of success he was? It, it certainly was a mistake. USC did the exact wrong thing, just like Pat Hayden has done most of his career as USC's athletic director. Every major decision, if you reversed it, USC would be in a better spot. And I, I'll stand by that 100%. All the big decisions he made were completely wrong, and this was one of them. Great to see Ed Orgeron having this kind of success. How much he learned. Uh, the article talks about how much he learned from his first job at Ole Miss and how close he was to even beating Alabama back then. And it just didn't work out. Then getting that opportunity at USC and then having it to have to fall exactly right where they didn't fire Les Miles in, I think it was 2015, bring him back and then fire him midseason. So he gets this audition that he never would have got. But once he got the opportunity, he did enough to, to keep the job. And now he has, you know, changed around some coordinators and stuff. Obviously, has a lot of support from that school, but he's showing he's an elite coach and doing an amazing job at LSU. So, what are your what are your thoughts on all that, Coach? Well, I first of all want to congratulate him, and I think it's the biggest mistake that was made at USC when Pat Hayden didn't give him the opportunity. I think this: it Orgeron's life with USC. He lived in a hotel by campus. He lived with football. The players loved him. He was a great recruiter, and. Uh, I think his personality was too strong for Pat Hayden. Uh, Pat Hayden wants a guy in a bow tie, okay, or something like that. And Ed Orgeron earned the right to be the head football coach, even if it was on the interim basis for a year or two to see how he did. I think that was the decline, the first move of what hurt the USC football program, split the alumni, split everybody. That was the most talked about thing that happened. And, uh, I'm so happy for him to be successful and that they gave him that opportunity. You could see the emotion in his face. That's what USC played about. One statement I'll never forget when he was at SC, he called it one heartbeat. That's something I'll never forget when he brought that up. We're one heartbeat here. And I think that united everybody in the athletic department as far as at USC. And when Pat Hayden did not give him that opportunity, went behind his back, had him on the road recruiting, came back and said he had not hired him. I thought that was sticking the knife in his back. And uh, from then on, I'd never trust Pat Hayden. Not that I know him personally, I don't. But you don't do that to somebody who is such a person as Ed Orgeron and what he's doing at USC. Yeah, I agree with you there, Coach. Uh, Really happy for Ed Orgeron. And uh, all the people that are still telling me on Twitter, like, why he wasn't the right fit and stuff. It's like, come on, guys. Just just admit you're wrong. That's fine. You're wrong. I was wrong about Herm Edwards. He's doing a lot better than I thought. Now, they lost three in a row, but he's still doing better than I thought. I'll say my initial take on Herm Edwards was wrong. All you people that said USC should have never even considered higher ed Orgeron, you are just wrong, and you need to admit that and move on. All right. Uh, we got two more. Tim in Palm Desert. This is about Dennis Packer, the, the former USC PA announcer. He said... Uh, Coach Hyde uh, mentioned Dennis Packer on Monday as part of what used to be a Trojan tradition. Why was he let go? Is there any chance that he could come back to his role as a fabulous PA announcer? Thanks. Love the show. Tim and Palm Desert. 
I don't remember why. I don't know if I even knew why he was not retained, but it wasn't a very popular decision. Um, I believe that was a Pat Hayden one as well, if I'm not mistaken. But um, do you know anything about that, Coach? Well, only what I hear, and I've spoken to him, and I won't give his remarks. But, you know, he got peanuts for doing that job. Normally they get paid for following the band. He would go out to the band practices every week and, and be out there and know the routine that the banks were, the bands were going to do. And he'd explain it. He'd do halftime. He did everything. His voice was just part of history, like knowing what game you were watching by hearing his voice. I don't understand why, but again, that was under Pat Hayden's directorship that that traditional thing was erased. I, I don't have any idea why. I noticed it. They, everybody's talked about it. Absolutely ridiculous. Dennis is a loyal, great announcer. There isn't anybody any better than him. There isn't. Why would you make a change when you got the best? He's done every game, every team in town. I don't understand that, but that was another one of those calls that were done during that area era, and uh, it was wrong. It was just wrong, and now another way to uh, lose respect as far as what's happening, the loss of tradition. It's just part of tradition uh, that uh, there that was there that's not there, and I think it's part of the things that need to be corrected immediately. Otherwise, like I say, the young people don't remember the days of the great tradition at USC. It's a different group. The people with the money or the people that uh, have remembered those years are not around as much or aren't going to the games as much. So you've got to be able to show them exactly what tradition is all about as far as on the field as well as the university, the tailgating, all the things that were made to be a special day at a special event for USC. Not a rock concert, but feature traveler, feature the band, feature the team, feature the tradition, feature the tailgating, all of the things that make USC. Yeah. I agree with you, Coach. He was someone I liked a lot. Uh, I mean, not personally, didn't know him personally, just I liked his voice coming over there, and it just it's not been the same since. But one of those weird decisions, you know, sort of like banning the song girls from basketball games. You know, why would you make that decision? I have no idea. That's been reversed now, by the way. And speaking of basketball, that's our last question. I'll play it for you. You know, Ryan, it's Bobby in Los Angeles. I must tell you the God's honest truth. What a shock today. You know, I, I never thought I could be more shocked in my life about USC that Clay Hilton was not fired at the end of last season, which has made me mad the whole year. But that's besides the point. Now I got a bigger shock. Ryan Abraham covering basketball for uscfootball.com. No, Ryan Abraham doing the game, not USC something, but USC Portland basketball. You want to talk about a shock. I'm walking around shaking. I'm ready for something bad to happen, earth-shattering maybe. Holy cow, nice job and nice article on the USC Portland game. Thank you. Bye. Uh, thanks for the question. Yeah, so if you don't know, uh, so I sent the rest of the crew out to Tempe to cover the game. I stayed home and, and worked from home on the game. But USC had a basketball game Friday night, and since I was pretty much the only one around, I went and covered a USC Portland basketball game, which, as you know, sarcastically saying there, that's not something I normally do. I am no basketball expert, uh, but it was fun to go check it out and, and uh, you know, see the team. It's a good-looking team. It's a young team. Um you know, I, I think they'll be pretty exciting to to watch. And I got to ask uh, Andy Enfield after the game about his first impression uh, meeting Mike Bone and stuff. So that was that was all kind of interesting. But yes, thanks for the kind of sarcastic voicemail. I, I don't know if you follow basketball much. I'm no expert. I don't try to be. But, you know, we, we got to cover the team, too, especially because this team has the opportunity to be pretty damn good this year. Well, you know, I, had, I haven't had an opportunity on the podcast uh, to comment since we did the, uh, what did we do? We did the uh, podcast last Monday, and they announced him Tuesday. Is that correct? Uh, no, they announced him Thursday. Thursday, okay. Uh, but, you know, let me tell you. They went out and got a guy <clears throat> that says all the right things, fits the image, and is connected with the NCAA, with the commissioners, with college football, somebody who does this for life, business. 
He has the experience. He knows what it is to run an athletic department. He knows the rules and regulations. He doesn't have to take an NCAA test. This is a guy that's connected and knows what it takes. Now, you can't buy that. The past two athletic directors that USC hired were past stars. They had no experience. They were good as players. They were good at what they did. But they didn't know how to come in and the morale of an athletic department how to support your coaches, how to give them what they needed, not sit in on meetings, not evaluate them by wearing headsets during the game or coming down on the sideline during the game to uh, administer a call with the official. They had no experience. They didn't understand what that looked like or so on. Uh, They stood by themselves. They didn't walk through the uh, tailgating area, didn't shake hands, didn't welcome people, didn't do the things that, excuse me, I feel, The public relations responsibility of an athletic director is as far as it's everything. It's not just being a guy that signs autograph and walks around and lives on his past. I think now that this guy comes in, he's very connected. He'll do what's best for the athletic department. It's great to see somebody that's done it, done it at three or four different universities, that can pick up the telephone and call the president of the NCAA, can pick up the telephone and call uh, Jim Delaney can pick up the telephone and call and knows personal has a personal relationship with people while those other guys didn't have any personal relationships with anybody. Pat Hayden was doing the, the Notre Dame games. That's as close to football as he was. Not that he wasn't a great football player. I'm not criticizing that part of it. He was good in investments in doing what all he did there and sitting on boards. Lynn Swan was a great player and is in the Hall of Fame, every Hall of Fame, but that doesn't mean he's going to be a great athletic director. So I think now they did the first uh, right thing. I love what he said. I love what his image was. I love what he thought about USC. He was overwhelmed with the opportunity of being the athletic director at USC, not in a position, well, I should be the athletic director at USC. This is who I am. This is a guy that should approve something. And I congratulate him, and I hope that the administration at USC allows him to do his job. Yeah, I, that's what you can hope for, but it looks like they got a professional there. Um, and that's what uh, USC desperately needed. So um, good for uh, good for USC finally bringing in an actual athletic director. All right, Coach. Well, hey, big show. A lot of questions, a lot of stuff we had to get to. Um, good stuff. Uh, thanks for coming on again. Hey, Ryan, thank you very much, buddy, and uh, see if you can stay up. The game starts at 8 o'clock, okay? First game on Saturday is at 9. You'll have 13 hours of football, or no, 11 hours of football, or 12 hours of football before the SC game starts, and uh, we'll have to follow that through. It, uh, I mean, I mean, I just I just think it's ridiculous to play an 8 o'clock game, and uh, but uh, that's what they do in the Pac-12. <laughs> Yep, 8 o'clock game. Uh, you know, to me, I'm like, well, I can watch football all day Saturday before the game. Maybe I'll head down to the beach, play a little volleyball or something. You know, it's not. it was an early game this week, so I felt like kind of get your work out of the way, especially because I wasn't on this road trip. I'm not going on this one either, so uh, like send the crew up there, let them do their thing. But they're not – so it was a 12.30 game, Coach, and uh, Keeley told me that they got out of the, out of the press box at 9.45 p.m. So that's, that's quite a while. Yeah. So like nine hours later. What, what were they doing? They're working. They're putting up all the content and everything. Um, so for an 8 p.m. game, who, you know, they're not going to stay that late, obviously. But you're talking, I mean, we get out of there at like two in the morning a lot of the times. And that's for like a seven o'clock game. So it's going to be, it's going to be tougher. Because, I mean, it takes you a long time just to get all the interviews and stuff. So by the time... All the players and coaches are, are on the bus or getting away, and you, and you get to talk to them all. And then as soon as you're done talking to them, they're already on their way out. That's when you get to start to work. So as the players are leaving the stadium is when we can start, you know. Um, so it's it's tough. Uh, but, man, that's, that's going to be a really late one. I'm glad I'm not covering this one up there in person. Well, you're smart, Ryan. See, that's why you're the boss. See, <laughs> uh, you're smart. You really are. You know, I do a show after the games. Normally it starts at 9 o'clock. You know about that. This would be a first quarter report. First quarter report from uh, Berkeley. Nice. I mean, I'll have the first quarter. That's about it. Show's over at 10 and 
Maybe. Maybe. No, I don't think it'll be halftime yet. Who knows? Crazy. So you're going to be like doing the show, watching the game at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, and it's supposed to be a post-game show. Huh? Yeah. What do you think of that? <laughs> Crazy. All right. Well, that's the coach, Harvey Hyde. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website, HarveyHyde.com. Thanks again, Coach. Thank you, buddy. All right, everyone else, thanks so much for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast. Don't forget, we have a special going on right now, two months of access, and there's going to be a lot of juicy information coming up. I'm just telling you, in the next few weeks, the next couple of months, for a buck, for $1, you can get two months of VIP access to uscfootball.com. So make sure you go to the site, check it out right on the front page. If you're not signed up now, just do it for a dollar. You cannot go wrong. So go check it out. Thanks uh, for tuning in, everybody. Hope you t- and if you sign up, thanks so much for being a member and helping support the site. We will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount+, Plus to try it free. Terms apply.